Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Art Blog Radio. I'm your host for today, Whit Lopez. I'm super pleased and super honored to be joined here today by Candy Alexandra Gonzalez, who's a local artist that's doing amazing things in book arts, ceramics, and poetry. Welcome to the radio. Hey, hey, thank you for having me. Super excited, super excited. So uh, can you tell us about your art practice and what got you into art as a whole? Yeah, so I like to lead everything by saying that I'm a Gemini, which just means that I do all the things all the time. Uh, so I am a ceramicist. That's something that I picked up last year, actually. I've uh, been a poet for several years now. Um, do book arts, printmaking, papermaking, and, and now kind of exploring this new medium, which is photography, and weaving that into my poetry. Uh, but how I got started was actually in college, I didn't take any art classes before then. I always felt like I had an inclination for visual art and, you know, sketched a lot and doodled a lot and was very crafty. But, you know, I have a very practical Mexican mom who was really concerned, immigrant Mexican mom, I should say, who was very concerned about me paying rent and, you know, she always wanted a better future than what she had and so I think that's where that fear and concern came in and so I didn't actually take my first drawing class until college uh, at which point I, I fell in love and it was kind of an undeniable moment at that point I, I realized I like couldn't look away from that and at that like I took that class sophomore year and so it was a little late to do my BFA or you know switch into the uh, visual art major but I, you know, did as many classes as I could. I took printmaking and fell in love with that process. I'm like, I love any media that's like process driven. And it's more about the process and like the actual results or the product that comes out of it. And so uh, after I graduated, I took this Japanese paper making workshop at the Women's Studio Workshop, which is in uh, upstate New York. And I, I fell in love. I mean... If you've never made paper or learned about the history of paper making, your the school system is like has done you an injustice because I can rant forever about paper making being the foundation of society and like how it like led to the development of language, which led to the development of society as we know it today. But anyways, um, so rant over. <laughs> but, but um, you know, so. At that point, I decided to take the year off and, you know, did some part-time work in Miami, which is where I'm from, and worked on my portfolio. I applied to grad school and ended up coming to UArts, which is in Center City, Philly, just down the street, and chose that program because it really allowed me to be the, like, multidisciplinary artist that I've, like always known I was going to be at some point, I guess. And uh, so I got to explore poetry there as well, which I wouldn't have been able to do anywhere else. And so my, my program was in book arts and printmaking. I hadn't mentioned that. But yeah, that's pretty much how I got to my practice. And I think being in Philly, which is, you know, so it has such a vibrant and great art community, has allowed me to, you know, continue to branch out and explore other mediums. That's wonderful. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, so you have something coming up at Franklin and Marshall. 
I do. Too. I did. I did see that on social media. <laughs> what what yeah, exactly is it? When is it coming up? That's actually tomorrow. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually tomorrow. So I'll be heading out there. Uh, it's a poetry and bookmaking workshop. So Franklin and Marshall's Phillips Museum uh, curated this exhibit with Jason De Leon, who's an ethnographer who did a study or he wrote an ethnography on the border and mass migrant death and mm. the reason for which that spiked in the past decade or so uh which fully aligns with you know the written portion of my master's thesis uh and so like i said i wear many hats and like while i'm an artist i also really like love research and uh did and read his ethnography while i was in grad school and when one of my friends who works there, who's an artist in Lancaster, reached out and said, hey, we have this exhibit up. Um, a lot of our students have had a hard time processing this information, right? Mm. Because a lot of like, you know, first generation immigrant students or like, you know, recently arrived immigrant students, like we're having, we're being triggered by this exhibit mm. um, because it's a lot of loaded information, right? Like this person went into the desert, collected items that were left behind, like was literally tracking like the progression of these like migrant deaths and like how that that like came to be and so you know it's something that i process through my work and actually have like a, a piece um that i made from the information that i learned in the ethnography and so she, you know selena invited me to come and and work with these students and lead them in processing this information right and so what the plan is tomorrow is that I'm going to do a little bit of a guided reading with them and read poems by other poets who've done this kind of work. Um, we'll do some guided like writing uh, in which I'll ask them to just like reflect on the exhibit and, you know, kind of tie their connections to their own life experiences. And um, and then we'll write some poetry and uh, turn that into a big accordion book that will be made collectively and so you know I think my purpose for being there is more than anything to just guide them in like helping and, and processing that information um, which it's it can be a lot to hold especially when you have that history in, in your family absolutely yeah absolutely I'm really I'm really really glad to hear that um, like my own practice is kind of healing centric and mm -hmm. trauma-informed and so it's important to me to hear how other artists are mm -hmm. doing the yeah, work of sure. making sure that folks are being healed mm -hmm. and that the art, you know, the arts are being used as a tool to help folks find their healing and also like work their way through their trauma. So I appreciate that. I really Thank do. You. Thank you for making that space for those students. I, I sincerely hope that it's going to be a really wonderful workshop for you and also for the students. I think that's really great. Thank you for doing that yeah. work in the community. Yeah, I'm wonderful. super excited because I feel like that that is exactly the kind of work that I want to be doing more of and like, you know, and continue to work with, with my community and people with whom I share experiences. And, you know, my mom, both of my parents are undocumented. My mom crossed the border many times, as did my dad. And reading that ethnography was triggering for myself and like realizing that you know art could be that vehicle that I could use to process that to mourn this information and to move forward um from it and so I I, I feel blessed that I could now hold space for others to do that as well
That's yeah. wonderful. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing that. Um, I appreciate it. So you mentioned um, this ethnography and kind of the role that ethnography and identity play in your work. So my, my undergraduate uh, degree is in anthropology, so hey! it's very... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Badass, no big deal. <laughs> no, no. I, you know, ethnography is like, it's so important to me, especially yeah. like autoethnography, where it's like we get the chance to speak about our own experiences, right, as like lived experiences Ooh. in this world, yeah. and just recording those things from like our point of view yeah. and through the lens of our lived experiences, right? So I'm like, I'm really interested in hearing how you use ethnography and possibly even autoethnography, right? Like, because you are talking about your yeah. own identity and people that share aspects of your identity as well and how that plays a role in your work further. You did talk about it a little bit, but could you talk about it a little more? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of like this particular ethnography, um, I, I really was looking at, at policy and just like the, the numbers, right? Um, because there's this policy called prevention through deterrence that was instated in the early 2000s. That was the reason for which um, migrants just started like crossing through the desert, which is the deadliest parts of the border, and why they started like dying in great numbers. Um, because there, there's no water, there's no resources. There's, I, I mean, it's they could get lost or it's barren. Um, and so what this policy did was funnel migrants through through this um, through this area. Right. And, and knowingly so like in the policy, when it was first written, you could literally they said like at their own risk. Right. Oh, and wow. so they I think what the government doesn't want people to know is that, you know, they were expecting that other migrants would be deterred by the deaths and stop crossing through the border. The way they did this was by increasing security in, like, um, cities such as El Paso. Um, and it did the opposite, right? Because when you have a group of people who have a history of colonization, um, of capitalism that have left their home countries destitute, there's no other option, right? Like, these people are so desperate to leave that they're willing knowingly to risk their lives and so what i did was kind of go through like literally the numbers and so how i use that information was that i wanted to give presence and space to these folks um because they existed in these lists online that you could find and the reason this information was put out there was so that family members on either side of the border could find could could learn whether their family member had passed or not in, in crossing, mm. right? So there are people who go out into the desert, find remains, try to identify them and put this information out there wow. so that, um, you know, their loved ones can know what, what happened. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to give space to these names. I wanted to give space to these, these bones, these identities. And so I made this book, um, you know, it was all handmade paper, and I went year by year and like printed the names of these the folks that were identified and for the folks that weren't identified, you know, also created a space for them, um, either by, you know, saying name not found or person not identified and and help. And I have this book of um, of, of names uh, and, and I really wanted to give folks like myself, give other, you know, first generation immigrants or immigrants the space to mourn uh so i put the this book up in an altar 
type setting um that's how it was exhibited and also had this um handmade paper uh altarpiece that when you look at it people interpret it differently um but it it looks like it can look like hide um it's all handmade paper and i i um treated the surface to just give it a different quality the the palette that i used was very much you know like earth desert tones um and i wanted to like con like give this dryness or the sense of dryness um and went in with a heat tool and marked uh each one of these names i've seen a lot of maps where people had placed red dots where folks or remains had been found um you know marking where folks had passed in crossing and so that that is one way that i and so as i was processing and thinking about this piece i i the my mission was to give space to mourn and give space to honor these folks right who you know those names get lost and and i i didn't want that for them um and, and in many ways, I, I see it as like almost like an auto ethnography of what could have happened because if my parents hadn't crossed and gone and come here, I wouldn't be here. They wouldn't have met my dad's Honduran, you know, my mom's from Mexico. They wouldn't have met um, and, and I wouldn't be here. And had they crossed 20 years later, they could have been those names. And wow. so I think that's something that I keep very present Um but yeah, I think it, it's important um, as, as I, you know, continue to think about my work, it, it's all very personal and I want to continue to yeah, tap into just because it's me. These are my experiences, but these are also the experiences of so many people out there. And so it is important to kind of tap into the different ethnographies as I continue to make work. Absolutely. Absolutely. More power to you, honestly. I, I think it's super important work, and I'm really grateful that you're doing it. I'm really Thank grateful. You. Thank you for sharing that. So I had heard before that you had done a workshop at the Free Library, and I really wanted to go to this workshop uh, because it just seemed really amazing. You were doing um, Nag Hammadi binding, mm -hmm. if, I, if I'm correct, yeah. at the Free Library. Um, could you tell us how you got into that particular type of binding? Yeah. So the reason why I love the Nakamadi is because it's so functional and practical, right? So the Nakamadi, it literally, every part of it is designed to protect it from like its environment because it's an mm. early Egyptian binding, right? This was like a, like no frills, no fuzz type of binding. It's like, how do we make this sturdy? How do we make this last? How do we make this portable and transportable, right? And and it's something that I want, the book arts community can be so exclusive and education for that in particular is so hard to find and access. And so as I'm working with others and like, you know, sharing this knowledge, I want to do it in a way that's accessible and friendly for folks, right? And Wonderful. so I think about this binding and I'm like, you know what, like, a book doesn't have to be like a serious case binding. No, it can be, you know, you just poke a couple holes, you like stitch that together, you you make a book is meant to be held, is meant to be read, written in, used. And, you know, I have so many just thoughts about how we exhibit books and gallery spaces. And anyway, so for me, like, that's something that's a binding that I hold close because of its functionality and just like it's it's simple and straightforward and art should be that way too you know it doesn't have to be this complicated inaccessible thing 
Um, and so that's why I use that for that, that workshop. Yeah. That's wonderful. Thank you. That's really great. So, you know, we're talking about how you're going to Franklin and Marshall College to do a workshop. Mm -hmm. You've also done workshops here in the city of Philadelphia mm -hmm. all over in different capacities. So you're a teaching artist. Like you're you're out here, you're skill sharing, you're you're passing on the knowledge that you have to the next generation of artists or even across the same generation, right? Yeah. And across ages um to all types of students and at varying uh price points too. So like you know, people can afford these workshops. Yeah. People can get to these workshops. Some of them are free. So I, I really appreciate the accessibility of the arts that plays a huge role in your artistic teaching practice. So what got you into deciding to be a teaching artist? Because not every artist teaches, not every artist wants to teach, but you are doing a really wonderful job at Thank teaching. You. So what got you into it? Yeah, so... I, I think I while I was in grad school, I got the opportunity to, you know, like do a lot of like teaching assistantships and all of that stuff. And and I loved it. I love sharing skills and knowledge. And I like am not always like the biggest fan of the word even teaching. I, I don't think that like education is like unidirectional necessarily, but um, I, I just love the opportunity to, to share something with someone that could contribute to their life and in a positive way. And I got the opportunity uh, through the Bartle Foundation to uh, like guide teaching artists and, and show them what they can do in their classrooms with poetry and bookbinding. Um, and so I uh, showed them how to do a pamphlet stitch, which is something that a lot of folks of you make scenes out there. You probably use this, this particular binding uh, to make journals and then we did you know collective guided reading and some collective writing and then some individual writing and so that that experience for me was transformational because at that point I knew that I wanted to continue doing this and I wanted to continue sharing and so I'm now actively seeking out opportunities that will allow me to do that that being said one thing that I have learned is that I you know want to be particular and specific about the communities that I work with right um, I don't just want to continue to give this information back to the communities that already have this information. I want to give this information or and and bring some access to folks that don't have this. Um, and so as I move forward, like I, I just started this partnership with Puentes de Salud, which is in South Philly, and like trying to, you know, like increase literacy with like fifth graders. Most of these students have, you know, immigrant Mexican parents um bilingual uh and for them like reading and writing is the hardest part because in school they're taught to like shut down their bilingualism and bilingualism is thought as a negative thing when it's actually a powerful tool that can be used um in a positive way and so you know moving forward like i think i'm always trying to look for opportunities that will bring me to the communities that i want to be working with but yeah thank you that's really wonderful so just to clarify, like, what are these communities? I know you've spoken about immigrant communities, bilingual communities. Mm -hmm. What? How do you define the communities that you want to be working with and bringing your art to? Yeah. So, I mean, it, when I think about that, I think about communities that, like, touch on different parts of my own identity. Um, and so definitely, like, first-generation immigrant communities, like, immigrant communities, um, Latinx communities, POC communities, queer communities, like, Honestly, like I want to work with folks who like are have been underrepresented, underserved historically, like people who 
would benefit in large ways from from this so yes in particular i think one thing that i'm most excited about right now is working with bilingual communities and like introducing bilingualism as yeah like as a, as a tool versus like a, a detriment um yeah that is wonderful i definitely think bilingualism is a huge tool and often folks get punished by society for being bilingual yeah absolutely. um and so it's, i think it's really wonderful that you're doing this work so thank you thank you very much i appreciate it so one of the ways that I also know you is because you're, <laughs> you are you are a resident artist currently at 40th Street mm-hmm. Artists in Residency um, over in West Philadelphia in the University City mm-hmm. area. And to my knowledge, you have an exhibition that's coming up. I do. Right? You have a solo show that's going to be in the gallery there. Could you tell us a little bit more about it? Yes. Oh, my God. This uh, has been a, a ride because... Uh, several weeks ago I realized I have a solo show coming up and I've written a lot of poetry and unless I can put all of this poetry up on the wall we're struggling here and I had a friend who said yeah just do that you know who you are (laughs) and I was like yeah that's exciting and so but of course I'm always trying to you know kind of have this conversation between like poetry and and visual art and I work at Moore uh, College of Art and Design, and I'm the photo and printmaking tech. And I have all of this access to photo equipment that I've never used before. And, you know, I mean, I haven't used personally. And so I, I was like, what an opportunity and like a wealth of, of resources to tap into. And so and also being super inspired by my by my students uh, decided to start a self-portrait series uh to go along with my poetry and so mirror talk is is gonna is the name of the exhibit and it's also the name of a series of poems that i've written in which i try to process you know how fat phobia has affected me and carried and how how like that trauma has affected the way i approach relationships all all types of relationships and and particularly my relationship to myself right and how i unlearn that uh and so it's it's been a lot of work of of digging deep and being super super honest with myself and and confronting myself too because yes I'm a fat person but I also carry internalized fat phobia right that you know affects other people around me and so I'm at the point in my life where I don't want to be that person you know I don't want to continue to hate myself and like affect the people that I love around me um and so i i realized that i needed to do that work for myself and for the people that i love and and it's an important it's important work because i think we don't talk about bodies enough and we don't center fat people in these conversations enough uh and, and so i i mean you can meet people that are very like socially aware and conscious and still say some really fat phobic stuff just to not curse on this podcast you know and, and and problematic problematic stuff and 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 i'm I, i'm done with that like i'm done having that i'm done accepting it and i'm done like letting that contaminate how i see myself right and how i navigate the world and so um that that that's where that stems from and so honesty with myself can sometimes be ugly right because i have to comp 
like I have to confront my own problematic shit. Um, and so that that's what, you know, that this poetry series has been about. And, you know, I had a vision last year in which I wrote this book called, you know, Weight Forward Slash List and in which I, I write about my body and how I that relationship is changing. Um, I'm so happy to say that I'm like not where I was even a year ago or like two years ago, but uh, I want to, there's still so much work to be done. And, you know, since I, so the photos that I've been doing have put me visually in a very vulnerable space. So how do I capture vulnerability in its many facets, right? Uh, so a couple of the the shoots that I did involved me wearing body shapers and corsets, um, which is something that I just recently started talking about, but that I've been that I wore on and off through like middle school and high school. That's a very young age to be wearing a body shaper um, and to be encouraged to be wear to wear a body shaper. Um, and so you know, and in other photos, you know, I'm being myself it's just me the camera lighting and um that is also equally as vulnerable um if we want to get into like the the technical aspect of this exploration i'm really obsessed right now with like low lighting photography and long exposure um and so when you do a long exposure you're able to capture movement and so there's a couple of pictures in which i try to you know replicate the feeling of tightening um the corset around your body mm. right um when you're doing a long exposure you're able to really get the details of someone's like face and so um and the and how you know the light you know shines on on your face and so um yeah i think sitting in front of a camera uh, for extended periods of time it is very vulnerable and um, there are many ways to do that and so I think I'm just at the surface like I'm just starting to explore that through photography and I'm continuing to do that through poetry but um, I've, I've been really touched by like how people have received this and like have had folks that I know personally and not I mean, people that I've never met through social media saying that you know seeing those pictures has helped them or has got them thinking about their relationships to their own body and acknowledging that I'm absolutely not the only one and putting my experiences out there helps people feel seen, right? And like it helps people see that there's a way in which we can like continue to have these, like start having these conversations because I don't think these conversations are being had um, and to start having these conversations with ourselves first and foremost and you know, in a way that will help us move forward and like, yeah, get get to a better place, right? Like I, yeah, I I think that like you know even this interview, like I feel like this is the first time that I've been able to say like, yeah, like I'm a fat person without feeling ugly about it because it is who I am and like I love who I am, you know. Um, but even just using those words, like, has there's such an like ugly connotation that's been like tied to it, and such a like such a like history of like at least for me of like trauma and just um bs that I, I need to be working through and so you know just owning that word just like owning my my truths and my experiences and like not being ashamed of them and putting them out there has been a lot of work emotionally because of course like 
putting vulnerability out there is scary and intimidating, but it's also been really healing because I'm like in many ways have confronted the beast, you know, and I'm starting to get to a place where I like can actually just put it like, like undo this and like, you know, move, move on from it. And yeah. So a lot, um, please come through April 13 opening trying to redefine what it means to like have a show opening and do something that's like not intimidating and chill and community oriented and so you may be able to get to make some books i'll read some poetry we'll eat some snacks um but get ready for something that's like yeah i want to hold a space in which you know i can hold my vulnerability and and hold the vulnerability of others and so hopefully this is a show that will be able to do that. That is fantastic. So you said April April thirteenth, yes. right? What time? Uh, from twelve to three. Okay, great. I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm super excited. I will definitely be there. I'm. I can't wait. I really, truly can't wait. Um, if you're out there listening to this, please by all means make sure that you stop by Candy's solo show on April thirteenth. Starting at 12 p.m. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned photography. Do you see yourself exploring it further in the future? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 you know, I yet again have found something that I'm really excited about. Uh, And yeah, I think I want to continue to one, photograph my own body and photograph myself. And this is the first time that I, my life where I've, actively wanted to see myself in pictures and that's really exciting and I also want to provide a space in which other folks like me so other fat folks hit me up because I will (laughs) photograph all your bodies um POCs please come through fat POCs please come through queer fat POCs please come through um and and so yes I think that there's something very like powerful we need to as people of color, as queer fat people of color, we need to change what photography looks like out there and like Definitely. occupy that space. And Definitely. so I think photography is a really great accessible accessible way of doing this. So yes, I see myself very much continuing to do this kind of work. I look forward to it. I am absolutely looking forward to your work. So thank you. Thank you so much, thank and you. thank you for taking this time to share yourself and your work and your upcoming events with us. Um, I'm super excited to have had this opportunity with you today, just this moment of sharing and being vulnerable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of that. I appreciate it. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to TGMR, the Galleries at Moore Radio, a public art talk radio station broadcasting from the Moore College of Art and Design. Listen live and search the archive of past broadcasts or find out how you can get on the air at thegalleriesatmoore.org. This is Whit Lopez, and I'm out for the day. Bye, y'all.